This episode was originally recorded on August 30th, 2020. Hey everyone, this is Tony Dow with the uh, OCPHA podcast, and we are here again with another episode of the Journey series where we talk about uh, different career paths and highlight one of our pharmacist members in OCPHA. And today we're going to be talking with Dr. Nancy Dow on her career path and uh, what she's doing today and how she got into it. So thank you again so much for taking some time to be on the podcast, uh, Nancy. How are you doing today? Hey, Tony. I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Yeah, it's just uh, we're recording on a Sunday, so I know... It's the weekend, so thank you so much, you know, for taking some time to be on here. Yeah, no problem. You know, it's funny. We've been friends for a while, but I don't really know a lot about your uh, career path. So uh, I guess for listeners who don't know about you at all, can you kind of tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So um, a little bit about me. I was born in Cincinnati, Ohio, so I'm not a California native. I was born and raised there in a little suburb town, a little bit outside of the city, so I grew up there my whole life. I went to undergrad at the University of Cincinnati, and I continued on to do pharmacy school at the University of Cincinnati as well. So I've been there literally my whole life. Um, I moved out here to California because after pharmacy school, I matched with the PGY1 Community Pharmacy Residency with Western U. So I've been out here since then, and I am just loving it out here. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. So, you know, actually, I wanted to ask you about this. I don't think I asked you before. Um, when you were going to pharmacy school out of state and then you graduated, did you have to take the licensure there first before you moved here? No, I decided not to take a licensure exam there because I knew that I wouldn't be practicing in Ohio, that I would be in California full time for the residency. So just to save some money, um, I didn't feel like there was a need to take the Ohio licensure exam. And honestly, I knew a few pharmacists in Ohio that reciprocated their license. You know, they lived in another state and they came over to take the Ohio board and they said it was easy enough. So I figured I would go to California and come up May. If I come back to Ohio, I'll get my license then. If not, then I save myself some money. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. So when you uh, were trained in Ohio and then you came here to take the exam, uh, what additional things did you need to do to make sure that you were ready for the California exam. Right. So, you know, there's always rumors about California board exams and how it's so different from the other states. So obviously the NAPLEX is the same for everyone, right? You would just study for it the way you would study in any state. Um, but you always heard rumors about the CPJE and how it was so difficult and how it wasn't really a law exam. It was a clinical exam. So it was really difficult for me to really be secure in how I was studying for it because I didn't know anyone in California. I didn't have family here. I had no friends out here, no one in pharmacy school that I could you know, ask about the exam or how to study. So I really just went on Google and I would search how to study for CPJE. And I just did whatever the blog post told me to do. So they told me to get the Wiseman book for the California law, which was what I was most worried about. Because obviously, when you go to pharmacy school in whatever respective state you're in, you only learn the laws of that state. So I was really concerned about the law portion because I was just unfamiliar because I didn't work out in California. So I still did my art prep book and then I read the Wiseman book and that was pretty much all I did. Uh, when I got to California, I think I was here for maybe 
a few weeks before I actually had to take the CPJE. So luckily enough, I was able to connect with my co-residents and kind of ask them about it. Like, hey, what do you know? What does your school kind of make you prep for um, before I took the exam? Fortunate or unfortunately for me, I was the first out of all the co-residents to take the exam. So um, I ended up being a resource afterwards for everyone else. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really interesting too, because uh, normally what I hear is when people start the residency, they don't take it until what is it sometime in fall or something like that? Like when they're already in their residency? Yeah. So I took mine right about when residency started, I think sometime in July. So I took my Netflix, I think a month before, and then I was just waiting to take the CPJE. I had some scheduling issues because I had to coordinate it with when I would actually be moving to California. So I ended up taking my CPJE a little bit after the residency started, but I was the first one to take it out of like my co-residence. I was like double nervous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, you, you got through it fine. So, you know, it's actually pretty good. Like, yeah, for me, like I, I feel kind of like a similar way where I want to take it early on. It's kind of like to get it over with and, you know, know that now I have my licensure, I just practice instead of thinking about it, you know, again and again, and then being like scared a bit of it uh, moving forward, you know? So I, I think it's really good that you took it early. Yeah, it was terrifying, but it was, it wasn't bad. I think everyone said it was a clinical exam. So I thought it would be, you know, like the NAPLEX and clinical decision making, but it wasn't um, as bad as I thought. I thought the clinical stuff is pretty straightforward. It was more so... It's either you knew it or you didn't. That's to test your knowledge, right? So that's appropriate. Yeah. So so then after that, you started your residency. And so can you kind of go over a little bit about like your residency program? Like You did a PGY-1 at Western University and a community pharmacy resident. And I'm not really sure. Like I, I had a few friends who went through the community pharmacy program, but I'm not exactly sure what that program entails. So can you kind of describe that to... Listeners who may have like a question, you know, like some people ask, like, why go into a community residency? Why not just go through AM care or why not go through an acute care? What is it about the community pharmacy residency? Right. So I think what drew me to the community pharmacy residency was one, um, that was my job experience throughout undergrad and pharmacy school. I worked retail, so I worked at CVS and I worked at Walmart. Most of my rotations were all outpatient or community setting, so I felt most comfortable in that area. But what drew me to do a PGY-1 in community pharmacy instead of just, you know, going out to work, which you could have done, was because I wanted to kind of know the background of outpatient pharmacy, right? I wanted to know the business and administrative aspects of um, community pharmacy that made it work. Um, so I felt like if I went and got a job right away in detail, that I may not have gotten the opportunities that I did during residency to really learn about how community pharmacy really works, right? I feel like if you're working inside the pharmacy, a lot of times, you know, new policies or rules or regulations come out and you kind of have to follow them. But with a community residency, I was on the other side, right? I was the one um, helping to formulate these protocols and policies. So I got to kind of understand how these policies came about and the kind of thinking and problem solving you need to have on the administrative side to make sure that, you know, your fellow pharmacy staff and colleagues can operate as smoothly on the front end as possible. So that's kind of what drew me to a community pharmacy practice residency. And I also like 
the fact that it was a longitudinal residency. So that means like all my experiences, it wasn't like a block of in care and then a block of inpatient care, a block of critical care. It was the experiences that I really cared about um, throughout the whole year. So throughout the whole year, there's a ambulatory care component. So it wasn't just a full block in care. I got to do it every week for the whole year to kind of keep things longitudinal and consistent for me. Um, there was also an administrative day where I was at the corporate office, and that was year-round as well. And then obviously the teaching certificate, which I really cared about, um, was year-round. And then the other days of the week, I was actually at the pharmacy store um, running their clinical services and kind of working within workflow throughout the whole year. And so I liked the fact that it was longitudinal, um, so I could see projects from beginning to end. Most of my residency, I would say, was a lot of project management. So I would come up with a protocol on the admin days and then go to the pharmacy store to implement it and see what happens and kind of troubleshoot and fine tune from there. And so that sort of quality improvement process um, and just that kind of high level problem solving was what really drew me into the residency. And I felt like if I just went out and started working, I wouldn't have really had that autonomy to do what I did during the residency. So, you know, like we have students who listen to the podcast and uh, one of the things about longitudinal is they may not have that kind of experience while they're a student. You and I know like in students, as a student, we go through six week rotation, like six week here, six week there all the time. And uh, I guess, can you kind of highlight the difference that you've seen in your learning experience about being on a six week block versus having something that's longitudinal throughout the year? So, yeah, the perks of a longitudinal experience is that you get to see your project from the moment it was kind of the idea was kind of started to the point of which you get to actually execute on your plan. And then you have time afterwards to do the quality improvement process where you kind of fine tune as you go. And I think as a student, if you only have six week rotations, it kind of depends on the luck of the draw, right? When you enter in that rotation, it's kind of whatever that site has going on at that time. So if you're lucky, it might be a project that they have going on that you're really interested in. And if you're not so lucky, they might not have kind of really anything going on at that time. So I think the longitudinal um, model is pretty helpful because you kind of get to see everything. Um, and I think it also helps in building relationships and maintaining them with your preceptors because it's the same preceptors from the beginning of residency all the way to the very end. Right? They're not going anywhere. And then a lot of times, at least for my residency, the preceptors tend to look, work together. They're already friends and they knew each other. So um, coordinating things and maybe bouncing ideas off of each other was pretty simple. And I was lucky to have preceptors that are kind of on the same page. Right? They want to kind of be pioneers in the pharmacy field and they're very involved. So it kind of pushed me to be involved and you know, throughout the residency, we would always go to meetings and inevitably we'd run to each other, right? Not knowing that we're all going to be there, but somehow we all ended up in the same place, uh, which is just kind of a reflection of how much we all care about it. So I think that was the nice thing about the longitudinal process was um, just kind of being with everyone, seeing ideas come to fruition, and then fine tuning it and setting up the next resident so that when they enter in their residency, they kind of have um, some a foundation that you help build for them moving forward. Because a lot of times, once when, when you're enacting an idea, um, it's got you want it to stay around 
long after you have already left. And so when the next resident comes, I'm able to kind of explain how everything works and give historical context on how it came about, um, which I think is always helpful for the next person. Oh, yeah, yeah. The historical context. I think that's the, the toughest part about the handoff is like making sure all that history is transferred to the next person. Like even not just residency, right? Just even with a job, because I know for you, you went to share ourselves for a few months. uh, And then after that, you went to scan, right? And then did you have that kind of like transition where uh, you you also a a similar thing where you you had your a new resident come in, and you had to transition the knowledge to them? Did you do the same thing with uh, when you were leaving share ourselves? Yeah, definitely. So I was lucky enough after we finished the residency, I ended up staying at Sheriff's full time for a few months to cover um, maternity leave for one of the clinical pharmacists. So I, was, I ended up staying there for a few months. And that was when we had a new clinical pharmacy manager come in. Um, that was a new position that started Sheriff's So um, the new manager came in and I helped train her and we kind of got the pharmacy, you know, up and running in a certain, you know, some certain components of it up and running. And then um, when I went to scan, lucky for me, I did scan as my elective site for my residency. So I was already kind of familiar with scan already. So the transition wasn't that bad. Um, So I was lucky enough that every transition that I had, there was already some sort of familiarity that I built with my residency. Um, So that's, that made the transition so much easier and I kind of just started off running, right? There wasn't um, a huge learning curve to my experiences because I already knew some of the people there. I already had like a giant idea of the processes. At that point, it was just making sure that I was confident enough um, to, you know, get the coverage that the clinic needed or get the coverage that scan needed because I also want the scan to cover maternity leave. So, so uh, I guess um, for share ourselves, is that is that considered a managed care? Share ourselves. Uh, we are a community health center, so we're not managed care. Uh, we're uh, yeah, we're an organization. We have about five clinic sites, so it's more so an care site. Um, but what makes it a little bit unique is that with the pharmacy, we also have an in-house a retail pharmacy. So the pharmacists at Share Ourselves do both. We're um, doing dispensing and we're doing AM care as well, kind of simultaneously. Yeah, we have our appointment list of patients who come in to do comprehensive medication management. And then in between those appointments, we are filling prescriptions as well. And then for uh, when you were at SCAN, that's mostly managed care, right? Yeah. When I was at SCAN, um, SCAN is a Medicare Advantage plan out in Long Beach. So that was managed care. And when I was there, I was one of their clinical pharmacists in the appeals department. So I was working on, on their appeals cases. So the reason why I asked that is um, I would imagine that many people, or not many people, but some people would ask, why do a community pharmacy residency? Uh, all you're going to be doing is becoming a community pharmacist. But for you, you've been able to go to Share Ourselves and Scan, which are AmCare, community, uh, some dispensing, plus managed care. So can you kind of describe about like how your community pharmacy residency program prepared you with the right skills to actually move into those uh, pathways and then maybe kind of uh, address that misconception about community pharmacy residency just only going to community pharmacy? Right. So in terms of what the residency really set me up to do was to become a better problem solver, right? And that's applicable in any pharmacy setting that I go to. 
Um, so with the residency, what it did was, you know, you present a problem like, hey, we have, you know, 80 stores and there's this one problem you need to take care of. What kind of solution can you implement so that all hundreds of pharmacy staff can get on board with whatever we need to get on board with? So it's like this high level problem solving, which was really applicable in Amcare, right? Because Amcare is the same thing. We're like, we have all these patients who have an A1C above nine. What can we do at a high level? What kind of processes can we implement at a high level to change patient behavior, to change provider behavior, staff behavior, so that we can improve patient outcomes? And then that's exactly the same thing you do in managed care. Like, hey, we're taking care of thousands of patients, and we also need to meet the quality measures of A1C, blood pressure, adherence. What kind of solutions can we implement at a high level? to kind of get everyone on board and change behavior. And so I think the residency allows me to learn how to approach problems differently, how to kind of think outside the box and how to really anticipate um, what would happen as I do things, right? So I think it made me a better problem solver and that is applicable in any setting that I went to. Um, in addition, managed care kind of pulled everything together for me. I, I love managed care, my time at SCAN. Um, and it was when I really kind of understood how everything worked at a high level, right? The things, the kind of rules and parameters that CMS within the health plan affect me, you know, at my retail job, right? All these adherence measures that we have to meet for the health plan, like now it makes sense on why we need to do that. Now it makes sense on like how I can get patients to do that. Or um, on the AMCARE side, we still Ever, there's quality measures everywhere. You can never escape it, right? So I think managed care really pulled it all together to me because now it makes more sense on why we have to do things the way we do it um, in each setting. There is like a larger goal um, in play and that's to make sure that patient outcomes improve. And so I think the residency really set me up to really learn patient behavior, provider behavior, and really anticipate on how we can implement different workflows and processes to make you know these, these fine little tweaks in how we do things and make a really big difference. And I think if I didn't have a residency, I would not be able to do this kind of problem solving at the time of which I needed to do it. Right? I think we could have all achieved you know this level of problem solving. Um, but the residency really pushed me to achieve it a lot quicker because I had no choice but to do it. Yeah. So, you know, like just fast forwarding to today, uh, with all your experience, you've been now a clinical pharmacy manager for the last, uh, was over a year now. Yeah. So, so I guess it's, it's funny because now you've gone back to share ourselves again, um, as a clinical pharmacy manager. So I guess, can you kind of describe about like your experience, like going back to them and now you're actually a manager and maybe go over some of the things that you do as a clinical pharmacy manager? Yeah. So my sort of day-to-day in that position as a clinical pharmacy manager, one, I'm the pharmacist in charge of our in-house, you know, retail pharmacy. And then I also manage all the clinical services that our department provides to, to our providers and our clinic site. So I kind of manage all of that. So coming back as a manager, I am really there to make sure that Everything is smooth sailing. That the pharmacy, um, the pharmacy for Sarasos is relatively new. So one of the things that I'm really focusing on is making sure that we're getting the insurance contract so we can bill insurance. Right. So um, it's kind of like starting a pharmacy from the ground up. And so my background in community pharmacy, doing the residency, 
is super helpful in that area is that I've worked for big chain um, pharmacies and I did the residency to kind of understand the background of running um, a successful community pharmacy. And now I bring that to share ourselves where we need to get our pharmacy kind of up and running at the same speed as the other pharmacies. So that's really been an invaluable experience. Um, and I'm doing things that I've never done before, you know, getting insurance contracts, um, writing up all these protocols. Um, because it's newer, the thing that SLS, which is short for share ourselves, what it really forces you to do is really think on your feet. There's always new challenges, new things that you never thought of. You know, working for a bigger chain, um, you kind of take advantage of the fact that things are already thought of for you, right? You just kind of come in, you start working, and you know, everything just kind of works. Um, whereas at Share Ourselves, because it's newer and because we don't have like some huge corporate office that you know, read through the pharmacy laws for us that can code our pharmacy software program. You know, we have to purchase it. Um, we have to learn how to use it. Um, everything is from the ground up. So it's literally like owning an independent pharmacy within the organization. That's been a huge challenge. Um, but I've also been very grateful for it because, I mean, where else would I get to do this, right? If I'm forking over my own money to open my independent pharmacy, um, I'm in a place where I can essentially almost do the same thing, um, but not necessarily with my money. Um, so that's been a really great learning experience to kind of see how things work and having a support of an organization that will allow me to do that has been amazing. Um, on the clinical side, um, it's always changing, right? As our clinic or our clinic sites have new initiatives, um, pharmacy, we are making sure that we are also progressing at the rate of which the clinic does. So in terms of our comprehensive medication management, um, we're, we work under a collaborative practice agreement where pharmacists can initiate, adjust, uh, prescribe or discontinue any medications for most of our chronic disease states, such as Disease, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, smoking cessation, heart failure, AFib, all those things we can prescribe meds for. Um, so it's been a really interesting experience on making sure that on the patient's end, the clinical pharmacy and the dispensing side is as seamless as possible. Because this is really how you can understand how the healthcare process or a healthcare continuum really affects the patient if we're able to see them from the point at which I see their PCP to the point of which we give them their medications. Having visibility into the patient at all those levels has been, I think, really life-changing for patients and really eye-opening for me as a pharmacist so that I can take my problem-solving to an even higher level, right? With the residency, I was only in the community pharmacy side, so I can I can only see so much, but then after I got some managed care in, and then now I'm at the clinic where I do the clinical services and the retail dispensing, um, we kind of see as much of the patient as we are able to see, and it allows us to make kind of better decisions um, alongside with the patient to really improve their health. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Um, you know, like one of the things I also want to ask too, since like we are in the middle of the, the pandemic, I, I was curious about like, how COVID-19, if it has, how it, how has it changed your practice? Yeah, it's, so we definitely have a lot more telephonic visits now because a lot of patients don't want to really come to the clinic. Like 
unless they don't really have to. I think the patients have been really enjoying that. I think COVID has really jolted the whole healthcare system and really brought to light no disparities in our healthcare system and how we can improve our healthcare system overall. So COVID, we had to really transition to doing a lot of telephonic visits, which for me is a little bit of a struggle because I'm not fluent in Spanish and most of our patients are Spanish speaking. Um, but I will say I know more Spanish today than I did three months ago, which is always good. Um, and I think the providers had just as well, right? Like with COVID, Every day, there's a new workflow, there's a new process or some sort of quality improvement thing going on. We're constantly changing and adapting as the landscape changes with new information and new studies that come out. And so I'm in a position where I really have to make sure that pharmacy pivots very intelligently as things change. So now, so more than ever, it's really important for pharmacies as a profession to be very present and kind of keep up with the times so that when we look back on COVID-19, we can really see how valuable pharmacy was to the healthcare system during this whole pandemic. Uh, Thank you for sharing that. So, you know, like another thing, too, is that students may be interested in doing what you do, or maybe some other pharmacists, right? They're out there, they're working in the community, they have this community skill set, but they don't really know what to do about how to get into an care type of role or a managed care type of role. Uh, do you have any particular advice you want to give these uh, populations? Yeah, I think any opportunities that they can find, even volunteer opportunities they can find that, you know, any of the clinics or even hospital sites, um, it's good to take advantage of. But I think probably the most valuable thing that they can do is, I think all pharmacists, if they want to kind of take a foot into care or managed care without having that prior work experience, I think it's all about being curious while you work, right? These, you know, quality measures that we have to take care of in managed care, it directly affects us on the retail side or the community side. So I, I think it's about giving yourself the opportunity to solve problems every day in your workplace and making sure that you get recognized and given the credit for it, right? Um, so when you see, you know, that your star ratings could be better, you have to think about like, well, I work here, I'm on the front lines, I know who my patients are, what is actually helpful for the patient, and kind of understanding the background or doing your research to understand why um, the problem exists or persists, and then you figure out a solution, right? You figure out a solution, and then you fine-tune it as you go, and then hopefully you can get some sort of, you know, recognition for that. But I think on a practical side, when you're working 40 hours a week as a pharmacist, um, even though I say, like, find volunteer opportunities, it's hard if you're already working full-time. But like I said, the problem-solving that you have to do is applicable in any setting that you work in. So I think it's finding opportunities to solve the problems that you have to solve every day and making sure that you bring light to the work that you are doing at your site speaks volumes, right? And I wouldn't be shy to apply for, you know, amateur positions or managed care positions. But if you do get that interview, you need to 
able to test on how you can solve problems, problems that need to be solved in whatever setting you're trying to go into, right? Um, you might be in a community setting, but if you know how to solve a problem in Amcare, then you need to let them know that you can help solve their problems. If you know how to solve a problem in Amcare, you need to let them know that. Um, and that starts with this everyday work that you're already doing. They right? document everything, start building a portfolio, um, and then start really networking. Um, for me, all the job interviews and opportunities that I got was through networking. If I didn't know someone that knew someone that knew someone at whatever organization I was trying to you know, apply for, I don't think I would have gotten that interview. And the only time I didn't know anyone there or I didn't have some sort of connection to that organization, I think I got the interview because I was literally probably the first applicant to apply. There was a couple of job listings where like, right when it posted, I submitted my application and got a call back. And if it wasn't in those situations where I submitted my application right when the job posting hit, I had to have known someone. So I think networking, um, it, I, it was huge. I would not be where I am today. And you can you know, already guess, like I came back to share ourselves. I came back to scan from my residency. So I already had my foot in the door. It was just about getting my other foot there as well. So I think if for students, um, also super important to kind of put yourself out there and when they go on rotations, have to just be curious. And it's not just about, you know, I think a lot of students, when they go on rotation, they just think about pleasing their preceptor and doing whatever the preceptor tells them to do. But it goes way beyond that. You know, I think it's about being curious about problems that exist in that um, setting and really putting your foot forward to solve those problems for your patients, solve those problems for your patients, solve those problems for other pharmacy staff, or solving problems for um, other departments, right? That goes a really long way. And if you can start building that problem-solving muscle early, it only helps you out in the long run. Awesome. You know, like one of the things that I um, also emphasize, just like you, about the students uh, who are in uh, rotation and stuff is that you do have to put yourself out there. I think like we as students, we're really shy and we don't really want to express how we're so curious. But then by doing that, we don't, it's, uh, it's harder to show that we are interested in what we're doing, uh, because we are not vocal about it. And I think that's a very good thing that you, you, uh, suggested that students do. Really. And I think that's something that I struggle to show students during rotations is to have them be curious, stay curious, and then follow their curiosity through all the way into the very end. Either it be like a clinical thing or an administrative or operational thing. Um, a lot of times you hear like students like, oh, you know, I thought we should do this, but I wasn't sure about XYZ. I'm like, well, did you look into XYZ? And they'll just say, no. I'm like, well, so you're curious, and then you decided to do nothing about it. Like that's like that's what I hear. So that's what I try to tell students to do. I'm like, if you're curious about something, like follow it through until the very end and then come back to me and tell me what you think. Right. Even though as a preceptor I'm there to teach them things, right? It kind of put the puzzle pieces together. I always tell the students that they need to come with the puzzle pieces. I can't just give them the pieces and then show them how to fit all the pieces together. They need to at least come with the pieces and then we can have a more abstract conversation on how to pull all these things together. But I, I think, you know, I said to students now, but I wasn't that different from when I was a student myself. I was also very shy and I didn't want to voice my opinions because, 
you know, of like power dynamics, transportation, like I'm just a student, like what do I know? Um, but I think students know a lot and, you know, a lot of students kind of sell themselves short on what they're capable of, um, but they can actually do a lot. It just, you just need to have that, overcome that fear and really start a conversation. And then I think they'll see that the conversations that have their preceptors will naturally kind of change as well. It starts from going from a Q&A between a preceptor and a student to more of a conversation peer to peer. And I think that's always the goal with me and my students is that it, we want it to be a conversation. We don't want it to be a Q&A session. But it starts with the student following through with their curiosity first so that we have something to talk about, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, that's really good advice. Um, You know, like for anybody who's interested in maybe asking some more questions about your personal journey or just even general advice, uh, what's the best way that they can reach you at? Yeah, they can reach out to me on my um, my personal email, N-A-N. C is in cat, D is in dog, A is in apple, O is in Oliver at Gmail. Um, and I'll, I'm pretty open about everything, so I can answer any questions that they have. Um, I'm more than happy to kind of give them an inside look on how I got here. Awesome. So I'll be putting that into the show notes for this episode for anyone who's uh, interested in reaching out. But, you know, to be respectful of your time, thank you again so much for taking some time out of your Sunday morning uh, to be on the podcast. No worries. I I love to help out where I can.